Everybody knows them. Everybody hates them. Bugs in software. You can't fully avoid them, yet every single one is one too many. What can you do to have less bugs in your software? Today's guest is Maximiliano Contieri, engineering project manager at Avature and computer science teacher at the University of Buenos Aires. He's been writing about code quality within software development for a long time, and we'll go over his take on bugs and lean development in startups. Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. Maxi, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on this show. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I stumbled across one of your articles and, and uh, I really liked it a lot. And I think this is what we're going to be picking up on here a lot. First things first, why is a bug called a bug? Why do we call these things that way? That's a long uh, history. Bug, the, the name was, uh, bug was documented, was first documented, I think it was in the, uh, at the 50s, when computers were about, uh, were machinery, big machinery and heating machinery. And actually bugs, real bugs, insects, used to enter the computer and of course they burned in, in the circuits. And this uh, made the, 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 the circuits work, work in a wrong way. So one of the printed cards, because they use printed cards and, and, and punched cards, first documented that, oh, this is a program and this is a bug. And it was actually the real bug. The real insect was uh, in, in the card. Uh, <laughs> and this is, this is why we call today, I think it's a mistake, bugs, because bugs are things that enter our system and make a lot of noise, a lot of uh, mistakes. And this is actually not what is happening because actually our, our cloud computers and our PCs and, and desktops don't have uh, many holes for the bugs to enter sometimes, but it's not a common user. Actually, what happens today is that the bug is not external agent introduced a random external insect, but something that we as computer and software engineer enter as a, a mistakes we make. Right, right. A lot has evolved uh, since the 50s, not just bugs, but uh, for sure everything else as well. Yeah, uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, but it, now maybe let's learn more about yourself as well in the meantime. Um, I've mentioned quickly what you do, but what was your background? How did you get into computer programming and especially also teaching? I have a background in computer science. I, I studied at, at the 19th at Universidad de Buenos Aires. This is here at Argentina. And since then, I have two, two paths, two parallel paths. I work as a teacher, as the academic. That's very good for some things. And I started working full-time at the industry. I had two jobs since then. And this is very good because they, we have different visions, the academic vision and the professional, more pragmatic vision of computer software and especially software engineering our profession is is a very special profession in which the academia now is behind the industry and this is not happening on many professions on many, many jobs I, I think where the academia and the science is breaking the, the knowledge and then goes the, the industry we are at the same time so at the academic we, we, we learn or we teach our students how to make things good, better, with quality, and at the, the, the industry, we make the same things, but we have deadlines, we have commitments, we have commercial opportunities, so we need to balance them. 
And it's very difficult to have both halves and to teach the students. We have real clients, we have customers, we have deadlines. You cannot do everything perfect. And on the other side, although we have deadlines and ETAs and anything, we need to have quality. So I'm 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 hanging on on, on both sides, and it's 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 very funny. And I think I've been doing this for 25 years. I never quit uh, teaching, and I never quit uh, working as a professional on on top level uh, industry on, on many many different uh, worlds. I, I worked as, uh, the first 10 years of my career. I worked for the financial industry. Then I had three startups where I met all of the sides of the equation of, of working as a software engineer, not just engineer. And then the last four years, I've been working on, on, on a big company and try, um, pushing for quality in every aspect on the, the, the company. Thank you. Thank you. That's very interesting, actually. Your enterprise, startups, academia, like that's a very broad view of literally everything. But most interesting is this conflict that you're mentioning between academia and the professional world, right? Professional, more pragmatic, academia, pushing for excellence. And I guess every every single project has that conflict somewhere. And that is even more critical within startups because the, the budget factor and the time factor both are just so much tighter. And that obviously creates this conflict of what what do we even do? Do we push for quality? Do we make everything perfect or are we lean? And so when I look at, at an MVP versus scalable software, should I differentiate? Should I try to build one and the same? What are different approaches here? Well, when you build an MVP, you take some licenses for granted. I, I build several MVPs and you don't really care for the large problems now but you have, you need to have this on 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 top of the of your mind if you're going to have a pitch on your startup and this will be my product you are not right now concerning on performance scalability and reliability but this is something you need to mention how are you planning to do so you don't need to work on the mvp taking in consideration how it will work with a million of, of, of users, but you need to be sure and, and talk to your investors on how you are going to do to do it and how you're going to address it. And rewarding quality, MVP needs to have good enough quality because if your demo fails, <laughs> you're going, going to have a, a big problem. And you need to sincere what is your technical depth and your automation depth and your quality depth for yourself. So you have pitch, you have customers, you have uh, investors, you have around, uh, you, have, you have money. What do you do then now? You can extend your prototype, your buggy prototype, or say, okay, I have my prototype. I have validated use cases. I have something that someone is going to pay for it. So let's cover it. Let's make it quality and throw out the prototype and build real software. So... I will not advise you if you're making an MVP to have full coverage and quality and zero defects. You wouldn't go that way because cost of opportunity, your competitor is not working that way and is not going there. But you need to have a certain mind on what will be your quality because people are going to ask you, so how are you going to address it when instead of two 
people, you have a hundred million. Instead of a load balancing for with one server for this demo, you are going to have a thousand servers working together. How are you going to address your fails, your problem, etc.? So that will be in the DNA of your company. You need to show people quality is very important because if you are not going that, if you don't have in the DNA and just make features and pull and more features and more things and explode, you will go, you're going to implode at, at the time when you have more things than you can manage and when bugs tend to grow exponentially. So I think you have, you have to be more pragmatic even on MVP because of the shorten of time money and, and everything you but you need to have the mindset it's quality is a mindset so you can choose not to have some quality but you cannot avoid it you 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 need to to to, to be aware of that that would be my advice I, having i had three startups and we had mvps and we had grounding and we had funding and quality was there so we are going to have this demo and everything they asked me about quality i was ready to answer because quality was there but of course product was not 100 bug free. No, no, no product was 100 bug free. But I was aware that when they put the money and say, okay, let's have two years to develop the, the, the product. Okay, now quality come back because I cannot work without you. So you need to be more pragmatic, I think. That's true. The, 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 I guess that the challenge here is to really understand what level of pragmatism and what level of quality and especially what level of scalability is enough or the right approach just for my stage, right? Because that also depends. You can't say generally that an MVP doesn't need to be scalable at all, right? It depends. Is it B2B software that's being internally used by five people or is it consumer facing and it's freemium? And, you know, um, if we expect our, I don't know, ad campaign on TV to go well, then immediately a lot of people will be using it, right? Yeah, immediately. That's the, that's the right word. And, and I think that a lot of non-technical founders have an issue to understand like what's good enough for me at this stage, right? Hiring a perfect team isn't a piece of cake, is it? To find a good candidate, you need to post a job on multiple job boards, review like 100 CVs, conduct at least a dozen initial interviews to make sure there's at least a single specialist you would like to hire. But with Superb Hire by TrustShore, you can forget about all of the hiring headache. Find, meet, and hire skilled and dedicated assistants ready to take over marketing, sales, administrative, customer support, data entry, or other tasks. Contribute to your business growth and help you reach your goals. Superb Hire takes care of the entire recruitment process. You just have to show up for the final interview. Visit SuperbHire.com and book a free, no-commitment call to learn more. It's SuperbHire.com. I'm an advocate of TDD. And TDD is great for adding a lot of exploratory functional issues because you will on top of existing functionality that cannot break. You can develop software and break new things. That's good. That's good. That's acceptable. But you can never break all things that were working. That's something that the user cannot accept. So if I, I, I ship you a new feature and the feature is not good enough and it breaks, you say, okay, you're in better testing. But why did you break that? That was working the last two years. And MVP is a layer, an onion layer of new functionality because you are testing, you are, you are testing your prototype. So TDD is, 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 is well suited for that because 
you write layer one and just the code you need for layer one and it's testing and it's covered. And if you break it, you know it. And then you build on top of it layer two and layer three and layer four. And you're pretty sure that layer one still works because it's automated. So you cannot break it. And if you break it because your domain model is going that way, you're aware and say, oh, mm -mm, I broke it. But this is because, oh, okay, I can take this decision. But the alarms and sound are sounding. And this is every process that works in a fast iterative and with early feedback is very well sweet. So I will advise TDD. You can build a prototype in TDD in minutes and add a lot of functionality in minutes, but you need discipline. You need never to gold plate something and say, I love it because I think, okay, you want to add it. So let's get a user story on that feature you want to add because unless you write the testing coverage, you cannot, by definition of TDD, build anything. So if you say, hey, partner, let's check. Uh, and this, this will be very good for the MVP. Well, let's not add it. Let's find a use case. Let's automate the use case. Let's write the test for the use cases, the new cases. Let's see we didn't break the all uses cases and then add it. And of course, you are certain you can go for your demo and say, feature one is working, feature two is working, everything is working and you, you can start. And if you do that, you can rebuild your entire architecture for scaling, your performance, your, you can rebuild, you can change your, your database, you can do whatever you want because you have coverage. And once you have coverage, you are good. Everything you do either works or does not work according to what you state. So I, I would I will advise, I, I'll advise TDD for any, any, everything. People at, uh, who not don't know TDD says it is slows down, but if I write this, this will be very slow when I need the MVP. It's a slows down at, at the beginning if you don't know the technique, but once you master the technique, you can go even faster and with confidence because you don't spend your time rewriting what you wrote because it didn't break, okay? So that would be advice for, for, for startups. And that makes a lot of sense. So to, for our listeners to, to ex quickly explain, so TDD, test-driven development, means before I write any code, right, I create the tests, automated tests, actually, or maybe even manual, but mostly automated tests, which say, well, I don't know, if I, uh, the entire user journey of I don't, an e-commerce store from search to choosing a product to putting it into your basket to check out and this has to work and only then i i create the documentation for how i'm implementing this and then i develop it and then i already have a test and it and, and, I, and i and i check it and if if it works or not and yeah, then i have yeah. test if coverage. you have the test coverage you don't even need the documentation because the documentation is dead and tests are alive you can ignore a, a, a documentation is a contract. So if you break the contract, nobody will tell you. I, I say that when I go with the basket and pay it in, in, in cryptocurrency, this will happen. But documentation is there, it's a comment, it's something. But if you write a test that's leaving documentation, you said, I will charge this using a blockchain. And the, the coverage says, no, you're breaking the use of, of fiat money, of, of banking money. Why did you do that? And you say, okay. This is not just documentation, but a use case I broke, so I need to fix it. So if I, if I want to have the two features together, I need to have coverage for the two cases, and I need the code working for two cases. So sorry for the doc documentation, but documentation and TDD do not work together well because 
we are accustomed to read tests, and tests are use cases, are functional tests, something. They, they are not unit tests in, in the traditional way where you see a, a, a component, a class, a method, or something very low level. You can say, you can have given them when and a user story and, and, and saying, this is my test. Given that I have a, a payment in cryptocurrency, when I buy this item and I do the checkout, then I have the fee and then goes. This is a functional test and you cannot break it because if you break it, all the functional tests are going to say, oh, you cannot continue shipping this code because you broke the test, fix the test, fix the coverage and then move on. So that, that's really, sorry, I didn't explain to Didi. I assume many people is familiar, but sorry, and you're, 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 you were very correct to, to, <laughs> to load that, load me because I, I, I'm, I'm on TD and I talk a lot about TD. Let's, let's define what TD is. <laughs> this is something you did. Of course, well. of course, of course. Perfect. So thank you for that. And moving deeper into this and also into specific phrases and, and terms, speaking of this quality that we, maybe first in the MVP, push a little bit down, right? So we also call doing that, taking on technical debt. Can you explain technical debt and what implications it has and how to pay it back? Technical debt is a debt. Nobody acknowledged this. And the word, I, I, didn't, I don't know who coined the term technical debt, but it's pretty accurate. Why is it debt? Because not only you have a debt on some amount of money, but the interest, the accurate interest of the debts are pushing you. So once you have technical debt, you start to have a lot of technical debt and technical debt increases. And this is something that like a real debt, your pay your interest and the debt increases. Technical debt is something that is working. It fulfills the functional issues you have, but it is blocking you from expanding your software or improving your software on adding features in your firm. So if you make, let, let's go back to, to, to my example. You have a payment on a, a bank, on a credit card, and then you have a payment on cryptocurrencies. And then you said, let's have an if statement, a functional if statement. If I have the, if I need to charge the credit card, I go this way. If I have to go, okay. But then you have another uh, way of payment. You can pass if, 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 and you have a bunch of business rules together. And this is technical debt because you're no longer can expand your, your ifs, your conditions to a point where you can easily add another method of, pay of payment because your system is not ready or it's not generalized. So you can never do over generalizing. This is something that goes into the academia where my student says, oh, I have a currency and I will model every possible currency in Mars and everything future. No, this is overgeneralization, overdesign, and this is a big problem. And TDD do not allow you to make overgeneralization because you cannot write code, you have not a use case. So once you have 10 use cases of checking out your card and this is very working, this is good, but you say, it's increasingly difficult to add new currency. Everything, I need to add a lot of things. So why don't we find out what is going on and what have we in common with charging someone for some product? And let's, let's not increase this debt. So because you have full coverage, you can do whatever you want with your code. Noticing you're not breaking your user story, your existing user stories. So you say, I will address this 
technical debt, I will remove all this if then else functional if then else by that and say I will make a, a work uh, I will create the concept of a charger and blah, 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 and this will make the new one the, the, the new currency method the new payment method to enter in an open open close principle because you have your working model and you can easily add a contract on new things and you didn't break it so what I told you was a kind of refactoring, a functional refactoring. But you can only do refactoring if you have coverage, because if you refactor something that is not covered, you're breaking things most probably. So this is a consequence of a technical debt needs to be addressed. When? When it hurts. And this is difficult to explain. How do I know where? We, well, you know, because you're tracking how long does it takes you to make changes. And once the software is not easily change it, you're losing opportunity, you're losing your against your competition because their competition are fast enough to make changes. And either they are making new ifs and they will break and have a burnout very soon, or they have paid their debt and they can easily add new payments. And this is very good for estimates because once you have generalized and pay your debts, adding new features is more easy and you don't come into the crisis of, I'll estimate 10 days, but why did it took two months? Because you have debt. So let's address the debt. And the debt is hurting. And this is the moment to address your debt. Yeah, I find this very interesting. And also that explanation is that this is actually the interest, right? Yeah, like when... yeah that's what it is, a debt. Nobody understands it. This is a debt. This is not something you owe. You, you, you have a fixed amount of money. No, this is not fixed. It's increasing every time. That's why it is a debt. The interest maybe increases the debt when you continue going yeah. down the hole, but you just pay it every single day, right? Because things take longer, they are less estimatable, and this is the interest that you're paying every single day when you have technical debt. You can you can just do simple, normal mathematics, right? You ask your developer, let's say even before you start your MVP, what does it take to do this right? He's should maybe well let's take a number 100 grand and what does it take to make it fast 50 grand maybe right it like you're borrowing fifty thousand dollars against your own software which probably means that going down the road you will pay 10 percent more every month you pay the 10 percent interest five thousand for example every month going down the road because it is more complicated to do things until you pay it back which might be even more complicated now than it was before, but uh, this is the, the general concept really works, and that is that is almost fascinating. Yeah, but but it's not just about money. Uh, people tend to go frustrated with the system with technical debt, and nowadays we have it's so difficult to to get people uh, excited and working with you. So if you are working on MVP, everything is excited. Let's build, let's build, let's different stage. Uh, but once you say. I have a two-year product, I have funding, I can pay you. And people come to you and say, let's add this, but it has a lot of technical debt, but you're not so sexy. And people is going to go to another MVP, another company or some place because nobody likes technical debt and nobody likes other people's technical debt. So it's not just about money and cost of, of opportunity. It's about uh, confidence and it's about doing our work in a pleasure way. We have, a, as software engineers, we have a lot of jobs. We have a lot of words and we're competing against a lot of people. And 
even sometimes a company can pay you less, but you can work there in a continuous integration and agile and way. And you can say, let's go there and build a girl product. But I can pay you well, but I have technical debt. I need that 12 features. Well, I can work a couple of months, get a lot of money and go there where I, I feel more professional and I think my, my work is better. So it's not just about money. It's about people. Software is about people. So pay the Very debt. Very true, yeah. Pay the debt, always. But not always. You need to be pragmatic because when you have a junior uh, programmer and you say, let's ship this feature we have ITA and we need a commitment to ship this for just in time in 10 years. And five, years, uh, five, five days after, the, I'm working on a framework to reduce technical. No, let's be pragmatic. So you need to balance, as always. And there are no hard rules. You need to know where it hurts. And it, you can say, I, want, I can push it because... It wouldn't be no loans if you don't need the money you don't have. It's okay to have debts, but you need to be aware of what you're paying. And this is why it's a debt. I, I think you cover two very interesting points here. So for one is that we currently ha live in a, in a, in a world and in, in market situation where maybe it makes no sense for you and your business to refactor or get rid of your debt, but you simply won't find any programmer who wants to work on your software. And this is a real danger that we actually see every day. And well, for that reason and that reason alone, you will have to address this. And it might be very frustrating, but unfortunately, this is you know, out of our control. And the second, second thing that you said about clear communication and expectation setting, I think this is something that is lacking a lot in the industry of being clear about we're currently in this phase, this is how we want to build the software right now. It's okay to take on technical debt. It's not okay. What level of quality do we actually want to achieve? And so my question really here is how can I clearly communicate what level of code quality to expect? How do I create that culture? Oh, tough question. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I think you need to address by example and people will follow you if your decisions are are coherent, are, are, are not contradictory. So if you say, we don't need, we don't want bugs, we don't want less quality, and then you say, push it, push it and fix it and take it and take it to production, you are making contradictory moves. So you need to be very concerned every decision because people looked at you because when you take your decisions, so you need to be very clear on what are your goals and which, which, which is your quality level and stick to it. Okay. So people say, oh, I, I work and we have a backlog of bugs and bugs are clear and we don't fix it because we have a cost of opportunity for shipping new features. But once a new bug enters and I say, oh, this will be a very, very difficult problem and I want to address it now. We work together on this bug. That that means why this and not those? Because this is going to have a very difficult problem and this is over the threshold of what we can tolerate on clients. Why don't you address all your bugs? Because that that kind of bugs are there. We, we push non-bugs and people like more that feature because it adds value for their business and can tolerate that bugs. But you need to be very clear where the line is and you need to talk to your team and, and, and your the, the people you work with, with you, where is. And once you decide to 
fix the, the bag. I, I'm using the coin bag. Because I, I hate the word bag, but I think nobody, they told everybody that uh, uses today. But once you decide to fix the defect, you need to cover it. You need to make an auto, a failing automation test on that. You say, oh, this test is, is not working. Let's make the code to fix this, this and don't break the previous ones. And then you ship it and you can do it on Friday night and release to production on Friday night because you have coverage. <laughs> this is something that you can do oh. once, once you have the confidence. Uh, if you are afraid of shipping on Friday night, that's you are not good good enough on, on your quality. That's uh, Oh, I'm I'm definitely afraid. I'm <laughs> definitely afraid of shipping Friday night. That's that's a can of worms that you open right there. Don't ask your developers to ship on Friday night. <laughs> but obviously, uh, if you if you have that mature software development process, um, what in your mind is needed for a mature software development process that just doesn't produce bugs or minimizes the production of bugs? We we mentioned TDD generate yes, test coverage. Yes, right? I, I I told you that bugs should be or defects should be there when you don't foresee good uh, side effects on the software you're shipping. Good side effects because if you ship a new feature, it might be good enough coverage, and you ship it in the past other features and might good enough for coverage. And if you have integration use scenarios, the work the two features work together. If you have a mature organization, your defects or your bugs will be for unforeseen situations where good features interact together or new players interact together. And this is why your bugs shouldn't be bug bar features, bug bug slash features. This is not a bug. This oh, this worked okay. This also worked okay. They have coverage, but once they met together, they are not working very good. Why this is happening? Oh, because you mix crypto with fiat and amount of currencies are not the same and one has a lot of decimals and they all, they were working very good uh, themselves, but not together. So what is the, the defect or the bug is trying to mix it. But did you foresee user wanted to mix in the wallet? No, this is something new that we can do in this. Okay, let's fix it. But I have a problem because I have an if, then else that if I have five fiat money and if I, well, you have technical debt. Why don't you model something that exists in the real world that is a mixed wallet? This is a concept that exists and you probably didn't have because you have technical debt. Let's introduce this and let's fix this. So once you have a mature process, you don't find defects on existing features. You find defects on mixing together new features, new integrations, new products. That is good. This is a sign that you're working. When the user changes your system and uses in unexpected ways and you need to expand your, and you expand it fast because if the user twisted your systems and you need to work a, a year on, well, technical debt is very high. So that is a good indicator on how is your mature process. But if the user says, I want to have $1 and $2 and add them and it's not $3. You say, oh, you didn't cover it. The basic feature, that is an indication of a clear problem in the past. And this is automation there. This is worse. So <laughs> I, I, I'm not giving you strike rules. I, the rule should be hinting due to experience. Sorry. They did that. When you encounter things and you do root case analysis, you need to do root case analysis on why 
that's a defect happens in production. And if you have a good uh, chain and a good uh, process, you will have several components failing together. So a bug appears or a defect appears. It's just one component. For example, one bad, one bad programming thing works and gets into production, you have a very, very, very wrong problem on your process. You need to have the coder making mistakes, the code reviewer, the QA, the automation process, the shipping, the testing, the deployment, the staging, every, everything must fail in order for you to have a bug in production if you are mature enough. And, and on, MVP, on MVPs, you, you don't need all them, but you need some of them. Let's make a, a peer core review. Let's make an automated. Let's not ship it the day before to go into a demo for pitching for a million dollars. Let's not do that. Okay, you cannot afford to pay all. I think all all the mention because this is some a mature organization, and if you build that, you lose cost of opportunity for your MVP. Don't ship that, but be ready for shipping it. A hundred percent. Be prepared and build mature software. Thank you so much. This has been insanely insightful and helpful, and I appreciate you being on there. Where can people, you know, find you, learn more about you? Well, uh, I have a blog. I, I write at, at my own blog, which is my name. It's Maximiliano Contieri. It sounds like Italian, my Argentinian, dot com. And I, I publish two or three uh, articles per day talking about software development, code smells, refactoring, TDD, software quality, and, and, and other stuff. I've been writing a lot since the pandemic. Now we are not no longer uh, in the pandemic, but I keep writing. That's something that I don't do that for a living, but I wanted to conceal the, the academic and the professional. You can follow me there, or you can follow my Twitters too. It's MCESEE1, but you can find, find it on, on, on the blog together. Awesome. Yeah, highly recommend it. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Have a nice day. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, You benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.